Hello, my name is Jim. This is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week, I'll be traveling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding and hopefully yours of all things plant-centric. Um, this week is no different. Well, actually, it's, it's a little bit different because I've got uh, two guests uh, this week. I'm joined by Dr. Shireen Kazam, uh, the founder and director of Plant-Based Health Professionals UK, a non-profit organisation whose mission is to provide evidence-based education to healthcare professionals as well as the general public um, on plant-based nutrition and its many, many benefits um, to to kind of promoting healthy lifestyles and also to preventing and treating chronic disease. Um, I'm also joined this week by Ryan Alexander, um, the founder alongside his partner Guy uh, of the No Meat May campaign. Uh, no Meat May is a, a registered uh, charity that aims to help people eliminate meat from their diets, uh, initially for 31 days, um, with the the kind of ultimate goal, I guess, of helping people potentially transition into into veganism. But all of the reasons that we, we often talk about on this podcast, whether it be uh, our health, uh, the sustainability of, of the environment, um, ending violence against non-human uh, animals, and also food security, you know, uh, sustaining our ability to survive um, on, our, on our wonderful planet. So without further ado, here's a conversation between me, Dr. Shireen Kazam, and Ryan Alexander, the founder of No Meat May. at um, in Sydney Opera House about his book, Eating Animals. And I went along with a mate and we sort of, uh, it was this called the Fest yeah, Festival of Dangerous Ideas. It was basically they'd have um, speakers talk about concepts that, you know, were, I guess, challenging the the, the way the world works. And um, I walked out of this one-hour talk just with, I guess, my mind blown in, in the terms of understanding the impact of animal agriculture and our, and our overconsumption of meat um, in so many areas, you know, and it was, um, you know, I, we talk about no meat may have been four big reasons and what I sort of took out of that talk and, and out of Jonathan's book was obviously, you know, health, environmental, also the, you know, the cruelty of the immense violence of factory farming and but also food security and how, how inefficient our, our system of producing food is, um, particular animal products versus plant, plant protein. So, so sort of that was sort of the spark for me, and then it was um, my journey to veganism was pretty fast from there. It probably took eighteen months or so of me sort of finding my way, reading up about nutrition, because um, you know I just didn't, I just couldn't understand how you could be healthy, you know, as a vegan. I guess it was went against everything I'd been taught. So it was sort of this process of unlearning, which I think is common for everyone to learn learn a new way and you unlearn things one step at a time. And, and, you know, and then the documentary started and I read a few more books and, and, and it's sort of I mean, at, at the time, you know, and my, my current partner as well is a long-term vegetarian. Um, he's my co-founder co who works on No Meat May with me. And, um, yeah, so I was sort of at home eating really good vegetarian food and I was going out with my mates eating, eating steaks and, uh, you know, $5 steak nights and um, getting my meat fix out of the house but then eating this great veggie food at home. Um, and in a very kind of, I don't know, like it wasn't like a, it was my, my own time, I guess, which I, which I think is important as well, making your own learning as you go. But yeah, essentially No Meat May came out of that. And I, so I think like your, like, your, like your blog that you have here, Jim, is sort of um, learning what you learn and sharing that with others. So I think No Meat May was sort of set up to give, to challenge people to, um, to go a month without meat, uh, very much no, no judgment. Um, very much a supportive and fun. We also make sure we try and keep it fun and light and playful because it's uh, you know, a lot of lot of serious stuff in the world. So we do that, that's sort of uh, our approach to it. Um, but yeah, so we kicked it off in 2013 as a bit of a challenge. We had like 20 to 30 of our mates to be challenged, and they all most people thought we were mad by suggesting 
you know, going out, giving up meat for a month. And, and since then, it's sort of just doubled or tripled every year in terms of participation as obviously this movement is growing in terms of, um, you know, shifting to more plant-based food and, and, and the awareness is rising. So, um, and, I, and I think probably one of the other key things for me was just understanding it's okay. I had my own personal revolution of um, finding veganism, but, and, and a big part of it, I think, was the environmental um, aspects and understanding how, how you know, we're, we're basically warming up the globe and we were cutting down our forests and destroying our oceans. And, and it's all well and good that I make a personal revolution sort of don't I opt out of that and or try and have a, a lighter footprint. But, but it was this realisation that's not good enough. You know, we need, to, we need mass cultural change and we need to move pretty fast. So it was sort of thinking about how I could bring my skills and my experience to um, to uh, activism, and that was where No Meat May came out of as this sort of fun challenge. And I'd worked in the uh, um, fundraising and charity sector for a number of years in running mass participation or supporting mass participation events. So I could sort of see how these things grow and how important the creative is and engaging people. And um, so, yeah, we've just sort of stumbled along as we go, like, you know, learning each year and sort of improving it. And, um, yeah, and this year's sort of really taken off, which is um, which is great. But it's it's yeah, it's it's kind of yeah. We've, and I think we've always we've always really believed in it as well. We've always really thought this is a a campaign that um, you know that has a potential to really sort of help help shift culture. And um, yeah, and we're just yeah committed to it each year. So it's a bit of a passion project become a become a second job now, really. But uh, but we yeah we love it. That's sort of that's a in a, in a nutshell. That, that's that's awesome, Ryan. I, I I love the the particular focus around kind of the um, the environmental aspects, the the footprint, as you as you mentioned there. That was certainly my initial angle, and then the the rest of those elements that you that you talk of, kind of for me, kind of uh, were were sort of like secondary and tertiary, and uh, and I'm still learning to be quite to be quite honest in that space. So yeah, really really fascinating. Would love to come back to it uh in a sec uh in a second on the on the project but um it'd be great to kind of bring in shireen at this point and 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 shireen just to talk about your kind of journey because it sounds like there'd be some similarities but also some some real differences to to ryan's yeah for sure thanks um jim so um i became vegan in 2013 and my initial motivation was really um the ethical arguments for removing animals from the plate essentially. Um, I had been vegetarian since 2001 but I hadn't really been a very conscious um, vegetarian. I sort of thought well I've stopped eating meat so um, that's the best I can do for for the animals but um, something or some discussions or, or probably conversations with my sisters actually led me to look further into the realities of the dairy and the egg industry and it became clear that you know, vegetarianism isn't enough. And if we want to um, prevent the torture and slaughter of animals, essentially, um, the only way to go forward is is veganism. So, so that was the reason. And a bit like um, uh, Ryan said, you sort of have to unlearn everything you think you know about nutrition. And, and despite the fact that um, I'm a medical doctor, my nutrition education was very minimal and very conventional um, from my medical stu student days. So um, in my journey of learning how to um, feed myself on a vegan diet, I came across a wealth of um, academic and scientific literature that supported a healthy plant-based diet um, as being one of the best choices you can make for your own health. And then of course, for the environment and the planet in general, um so that's how um i became uh, vegan was there was there a fair bit of skepticism shireen in, in the in the community perhaps the medical community that you you sort of circulated in at that time when you started to vocalize this or, or were people relatively on board with you yeah well so i think like with most things there's a there's always a mixed um response um so anything from, oh, you know, you need meat for protein or where do you get your B12? You know, the usual um, questions from omnivores um, to those that, you know, do understand that the closer you get to a 100 percent plant based diet, the, the, the greater the benefits for human health. But then coming up with 
the excuses oh but I like cheese or I like my um, meat and, and things so so a mixture um, but I think in general and uh, certainly back in 2013 I don't think many of my friends and colleagues were probably um, well averse in the actual scientific um, literature other than accepting that diets that are high in fruits and vegetables are healthy because you know that's general public health messaging for the last decade so um yeah so so a mixture really but I think having put myself out there as a vegan doctor I've met more and more people within the UK and certainly health professionals who you know think along the same way as myself so there really really is a growing community that is advocating for more plant-based diets. Yeah, I, I can absolutely imagine there is. There seems to be a, a groundswell of, of movement towards it and and, and uh, absolutely no doubt in part due to due to the work of uh, projects like No Meat May. Um, so, so, Shireen, as we as we just mentioned, you know, there's there's definitely a, a movement um, towards veganism. So I'm not I'm, I'm kind of. Yeah, not not surprised almost that there's probably more medical professionals who are who are readily accepting um moving uh, you know moving towards a more plant-based diet is the mm-hmm. is the uh the right route to go what what's kind of led you to to getting involved in particular with 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 campaigns like no meat may yeah well so i think you know we're with all um grassroots movements we all have to work together for a shared um goal and uh, you know I saw the campaign on social media and reached out to them to to ask if they needed some support from health professionals because um as as we've mentioned um you know they're the first to question the um, nutritional adequacy of a plant-based diet if if they're not fully averse with the scientific literature um, and um, uh, we, I haven't mentioned yet that back in 2017, I founded a non-profit organisation that provides um, science, science-based ed- education and advocacy on healthy plant-based diets, predominantly aimed at health professionals, but also the general public, you know, through events and conferencing and our educational website. Um, so I, I thought it would be a nice um, uh, connection and partnership to um, be supporting No Meat May in what um, this May has become so poignant for a, a lot of people, um, given the links between um, our uh, interaction with animals and the outbreak of um, coronavirus or COVID-19, as, it, as it's um, known. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely seen seen that in the sort of circles I move in with with regard um, kind of veganism and the connection with with kind of uh, the way we we sort of farm animals on the, on a sort of global scale and um, and in particular, I suppose there's there's an area though that I, I sometimes wonder whether because you know I'm in this social media bubble maybe of uh, where where you sort of are funneled towards other vegans that I I wonder if there's almost uh, in that community there's this real connection being made and and Ryan I'd just love to get your view you know with the campaign you know running as it is now and and as Shireen says like right in this particular um, kind of historic and quite seismic moment whether you're seeing that connection being made sort of on a more broader scale like is it is it a connection that is being made or is that still very much like the frontier of of the campaign of no meat made this particular year yeah good question and i think um we just scale back a couple of months like when we were we were planning to roll out no meat may and then this you know covid took off in terms of um you know the whole basically the whole world shut down and we were just like oh you know maybe we should we shouldn't do it this year but we decided to push on with it because if you like all the big reasons why we why we do it and why we need to keep um sh- you know keep the world shifting in this direction is uh they're not going away you know even if we're in lockdown um so so we we agreed to push on and what was interesting is that we've found um, we've had the most successful campaign ever in terms of recruitment numbers and people and, and also that if you like the cost of recruiting you know um we we're very much very much a social media campaign and um you know we get better each year at how we promote the campaign how we how we um connect with people but 
uh, we, we just, yeah, we had, we were really overwhelmed by the, the amount of people and you know, pleasantly surprised by the amount of people taking part. So we, we did a survey before it kicked off and we asked people around their motivations and um, gave them, you know, 15 motivations, if you like, for why they participate. And they could choose more than one because most of us are motivated by more than one reason. Um, and almost 40% of people ticked the box that said they were concerned with um, the basically meat production and or um, uh, the meat industry and public health um, issues such as COVID or, or, or pandemics such as COVID. So, yeah, so almost, almost one in two, I'd say we're sort of, you know, we're getting close to 40, you know, just close to 40%, um, uh, you know, motivated. This, that was one of their motivations. So, and, and I know even just anecdotally, I know friends of um, who I've been, we've been pushing for years to get involved for different reasons and the environment or animals or health just didn't, you know, sort of connect, but but they they're seeing it in a different light now, with um, you know, with what's going on with uh, with coronavirus and and understanding, you know, this you know word zoonosis or zoonotics, which no one used before, but they're sort of understanding these infectious diseases and um, you're seeing more journalism and more more um, uh, investigative journalism looking at, you know, where I mean, I I didn't know until a couple of months back, you know, that. Uh, Ebola and, and HIV that sort of came out in um, in the eighties is sort of connected to you know bushmeat that was um, uh, you know the eating of exotic animals in in Africa and and then the connection of that back to um, uh, you know basically big fishing trawlers that came through the, the coasts of Africa and and took out the small small um, fishing industry and those guys basically had to feed their family went in inland and started um, trading in in bushmeat. So you just sort of see that this, you know, this capitalist, profit-driven, meat-centered um, uh, food system that's driving it, as well as um, what actually happens within within the factory farms or within, you know, these intensive, um, unnatural environments that we create uh, to produce meat at a really cheap cost. So it's you know, so there's different angles you can look at it from, and and I think, let's say, some of the articles are coming out now saying to connect those those um, perspectives up in a way that, you know, we're, sit, we're looking at things, you know, in a way that we didn't before. So, so yeah, co- coming back to your original question, I think, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it is illuminating it for a lot of people. And there's people that are doing no meat, may, um, my partner, my, my friend's partners who would never have done it before, but they're like, no, this is a reason I will do it. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. No, I, th- I think, yeah, I think you're right. It, you know, when, when something is this disruptive to people's, lives and they've lost loved ones and you know it's affected communities in such a way uh i imagine it's it's probably uh you know everyone is probably in a state of kind of introspection if you like and trying to figure out you know exactly exactly where these kind of things come from shireen Mm. i'd I'd love to get your view on something here because what i have seen a fair a, a bit of is a connection with um wet markets and so on and it feels almost almost i sometimes see it and feel it's a little bit not reductive because it is it is connected obviously or or we believe connected to this 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 particular outbreak but would you in 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 your experience say that there is uh just as much concern from uh, on on a on a sort of longer term basis, whether it be zoonotic diseases or, or perhaps even just chronic illness in general, uh, with our continuation down the path of a meat heavy, tradi- you know, like I say, typically Western, but I think it's kind of accelerated over the last few decades. But would would you say there's perhaps a concern that isn't quite being highlighted enough that it's almost it is too reductive to the around the wet market kind of idea? Yeah, for sure. I, I think for me as a medical doctor, what this pandemic has brought to the forefront are two main aspects. Firstly, as we've been discussing, where do all these new and emerging infections come from? But also, you know, if we are going to be in a world of new epidemic and pandemic infections, then who are the people that can actually cope? with these viruses and illnesses the best and who are suffering the worst ill health and sadly ultimately death and they both those questions uh, and um, aspects come back down to our diet choices so you know the the initial um, 
uh, the, the initial um, attempt to call this a Chinese virus or a, or, or, or a particular problem with wet markets, as you say, was very much limiting the actual um, consequences of our whole farming uh, and um, use of animals for food, essentially. So this particular virus, yes, it's linked most likely back to the trade in, in wild um, animals or, or, or um, sort of more sort of exotic animals um, through the wet market. But we only have to look back to 2009 when um, we had um, an H1N1 swine flu outbreak, which was um, from obviously from farming pigs and came sort of from Mexico and, and North America, essentially. Um, and even as we speak, there are small outbreaks of really deadly bird flu amongst chicken farms in um, Hong Kong and China that are having to be contained by slaughtering the infected animals. So, you know, yes, wildlife trade, wet markets, but also our conventional intensive factory farming of any animal is increasing our risk of future epidemic and pandemic infections and and we have to understand that 90% of the meat that's eaten on this planet is produced from industrially farmed animals so you know the obvious response is all well I only buy organic you know grass-fed you know etc etc but actually we can't feed our planet on on that type of meat even if we choose to continue to eat meat um so so I think that's really important um, and the other aspect, there's a health professional that has really been um, startling to me is that, you know, this virus um, is affecting those with underlying health conditions the worst. So they're more likely to end up in hospital in an ICU. And sadly, people with underlying chronic health conditions are more likely to die from this virus. And when we look back at the root cause of these chronic illnesses, it comes back to our diet and lifestyle um, and the aspects of diet um, that need to be addressed by um, looking at our um, really unhealthy food environment is that our diet is um, in the typical Western pattern, too high in processed food and too high in animal derived foods such as red and processed meat and and those two factors are really leading to um, an epidemic of chronic illness such as overweight and obesity type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease which are highlighted as particular illnesses that are increasing your risk of doing badly with this virus yeah and i, I suppose as you, as you say it there just thinking about it the those kind of illnesses whether it be heart disease certain cancers that have, have got links to carcinogens in in processed uh, meat etc um you know that those i imagine just from a, a sheer impact like death toll uh devastation to families and communities are, are, are going on all the time if you like it's a heart i guess heart disease and cancers are pandemics that are just happening yeah, on, sure. on a day-to-day -day basis right yeah yeah i mean we know even prior to this epidemic we um have known that unhealthy diets are the top risk factor for death and disability around the world. And they contribute to around one in five deaths. And that's no different in the UK or Australia. You know, one in five deaths are caused by our diet choices. And when you look down the list of what an unhealthy diet is, the top five sort of top risk factors are firstly diets high in salt. Um, so with that reflects our increasing reliance on processed and packaged foods. But then the, the next four top risk factors are that we're not eating enough whole grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds. So we're not eating enough of the whole plant foods and we're eating too much of the processed and animal derived foods. Um, and, and, you know, as I say, we know intuitively, we've known since we were children that fruits and vegetables are good for health. And uh, you know, if you eat colourful um, fruits and vegetables with whole grains, beans, nuts and seeds, then you will have the best chance that you can of reducing your risk of ill health. Absolutely. Um, Ryan, as we sort of um, were discussing there about 
uh, kind of heart disease and, and so on and so forth. Have you seen, um, I guess, like uh, a particular um, intention from from folks who are kind of pledging to No Meat May connected to those kind of elements? Um, sort of is that is that been an increasing trend as we've seen that those trends increase? Um, I guess globally, and as, as Shireen mentioned, sort of uh, particularly in Western countries, have we seen that in, in your kind of uptake from folks who have perhaps have been impacted by those kind of illnesses? Yeah, 100%. And again, this year as well, I think as we're all sort of um, in lockdown and in sort of focused on, uh, you know, there's so much, uh, I guess, attention on, on health and public health. Um, and I mentioned before those motivations that we surveyed. So the number one motivation this year was health. And it was 80, 82% of people who signed up said that one of the main motivations for them was um, the health and, and reducing the risk of chronic diseases, uh, such as the, the ones uh, Shireen was mentioning there. So we... we um, you know, I think there's a growing um, awareness around that as well. Again, more probably more media and more conversations coming through, and people understanding that a plant-based diet is, um, you know, the best for for for, um, for health outcomes and reducing your risk of so many chronic diseases. So um, that's becoming more so um, more prevalent. And also, we have a we have a Facebook group. We have um, almost five thousand people in there that are um, sharing and supporting each other. It's a lot of recipe swapping and. But, but what we're seeing in there too is that there's a very much a health focus. So when, you know, it's, we, we completely want to see the end of the violence, um, you know, the systemic violence with um, factory farmed animals. But but when those sort of posts come up, people engage with them. But when it comes up around health and around, um, you know, whether it be weight loss or improving your um, blood pressure or that sort of stuff, they, they, they tend to kick off a little bit more. I think so. Um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. I think. Um, um, yeah, it, it is definitely a major, major motivation for people. Yeah, I, I can imagine it's um, particularly at the moment. Do you, you know, just going through kind of No Meat May's site and some of the support that that, um, that the the organisation offers, it'd be good to just get a bit of a, uh, a synopsis of that, really, because there's a huge amount of resources and, and uh, information available that No Meat May uh, offer to people pledging. So it'd be good to kind of get yeah. a bit of a... Uh, uh, an idea of that yeah cool so so we're all about doing it um so if you're going to do it do it right um and we're all about doing it being smart and using evidence-based materials so um we sort of connected um obviously with with shireen this year for this campaign and for prior campaigns uh dr kate marsh who's a probably most preeminent um australian uh dietitian in, in the plant-based world um so we sort of uh, she writes a lot of our material that to to share with people to give them an introduction to the essential nutrients that they that they need and we sort of will introduce those to well you know i guess uh communicate those to people through emails and through social media posts and um in our in our um, facebook group so we're very keen on getting people to to do it right and make sure they're getting their iron their protein their b12 and learn about calcium and plant-based sources etc so, so that's a big part of of um um our support we also um, so we send emails every few days, two to three days. We send an email out to everyone who signs up, and and we encourage them to join this Facebook group. And I think this is this is the one thing that I'm, I'm most inspired by is this global community that comes around this challenge because we have people in all corners of the states and the UK and uh, New Zealand this year has really taken off, and um, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia, obviously Philippines. We've got all, all these people all in this group um, at different hours of the day cooking up different things, bringing their culture and their experience and, um, and their questions to this group and sharing with each other. So that, that is, I mean, that's sort of was the support thing, but it's actually in some ways become a bit of a promotional or, or selling um, point, if you like, is that join this, join this global community that um, uh, are there to support you through the challenge. Because a lot of people will sign up, maybe they're the only person in their family or they might live in a small regional town and they don't, no anyone else doing it, but you join this group, and all of a sudden, you know, five thousand people doing it, and and you connect and you build relationships throughout the month. So, that, that's that's um, really awesome. Um, as I mentioned, the emails we, we have an Instagram where we share a recipe a day. My partner guy, who's a co-founder, has a brilliant sense of humor, and he sort of uh, we bring in a tip a day for No Meat May, and there's a lot of we bring a sense of humor to it and a playfulness to it. And understand, you know, on day three or day four, that's when your cravings are going to kick in. And day five or day six, that's when your fiber kicks in and you really start noticing 
your body working in a way that it hasn't before. So we sort of bring those elements and the experience of doing the campaign for eight years through those 31 days um, and drop support and motivational um, tips, et cetera, throughout the month. Um, they're probably the, probably the main elements. Um, we survey people every year and, and get their feedback on, on how we can improve it. But, but people are really, they're, they're in it for the food as well. You know, we can sort of talk about, and we do talk about the big motivations and the big four reasons but, and the big issues with overconsumption. But at the end of the day, it's all about that food, you know. And the, the, if the, So we get as many recipes and we've got meal plans on our website. This year uh, we've brought in online cooking demos, um, which have really taken off in terms of bringing a bit of cooking joy into people's lounge rooms and to their lives so they can learn. Like tonight in about two hours' time, we're going to learn how to make a vegan seafood pasta uh, with Romy London from UK, and, and last week we learned how to make falafel and hummus and a Middle Eastern feast from an Australian chef. Next week we've got a, a series of three next weekend. So that that's sort of I think what people are interested in as well as skilling up and learning um, exactly how do you how do you practically do this stuff? How do you replace meat on your plate, and or how do you um, how do you feed the family and them all feel full and satisfied? using plants so all that practical stuff i think is really integral to the campaign as well so yeah um, absolutely yeah there's a couple of, there's a couple of points i want to pick up on um uh, in there that, that really fascinate me i think um mm. the, the first one um and i want to bring shireen into this and get your your perspective shireen is um both of you come out of the, uh, come at veganism from a, a, an awesome angle of um animal welfare environment etc but but the health being kind of critical to this as well, particularly as we've talked about at this this time. Um, one of the things that I've I've kind of noticed, and you you guys with all of your wealth of experience will have certainly noticed over the years, is that as um as veganism becomes more more popular, if you like, um, and people switch to it, that companies kind of figure out how to how to monetize it, and there's definitely a groundswell of what we probably describe as vegan junk food, if you like. And um, my, I, I kind of wrestle with it one and two ways. I kind of think it's a good intro for people. Um, but on the flip side, you know, is there a potential harm harm there? So I'd love to get your view on it. And, and I suppose also just more power to you guys for like, the recipes that you talk about there, Ryan, just leading with health. But Shireen, I'd love to get your view on uh, uh, kind of the the rise of vegan junk food and and where whether you think it has a place yeah. or not, uh, and does it concern you? Yeah, somewhat? no, for sure. I think that's a excellent discussion point. Um, you know, clearly having vegan alternatives to our sort of comfort foods um, is a way of getting more people to explore veganism, and will only be of benefit to the animals and the environment, I have no doubt. But yeah, I'm deeply worried for our personal health. Um, you know, at the moment, we know in the UK that 50% or more of what people put into their shopping baskets is classified as ultra processed food. Um, and that's for, you know, a predominantly omnivorous population. Um, and um, we know that these ultra processed foods that are really far removed from any sort of starting ingredient um, is associated with um, adverse health outcomes. So increases the risk of um, weight gain, of cardiovascular disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, you know, the list goes on and on. And so if we're going to bring more people into this vegan movement, um, but only to transition them to ultra processed vegan food, we really, really are not going to do our own health any good. And it's going to, you know, fuel the fire of all, all these people that find they don't don't feel so well on a vegan diet. Um, so I think the place for them is a sort of enticement to try non-meat um, alternatives and as a transition food, as people skill up and get their knowledge base um, up to speed um, in order to feed themselves and their family with a healthy vegan diet. Um, you know, it makes it easy. But beyond just being a transition food or as an occasional treat, um, I think it, it really has no place in a healthy 
diet. But as I say, our, our, this situation is no different from the typical UK or Australian residents. You know, we've got into this, you know, for so many reasons, but driven, as you say, by um, the corporate um, sector and by industry profit and shareholder profit, that we have got into this cycle of really relying on processed foods, losing our skills of cooking and our knowledge of what constitutes a healthy diet. Yeah. And, and and Ryan, have have you have you definitely seen this kind of this growth in in it as well? Is this sort of exclusive to to the UK from from my standpoint, or or is it something that as you've seen positives and negatives uh, in in Australia too? Yeah, hundred percent. I think both. I think um I think the I mean the the convenience factor is a big part of what you know uh, people's decisions when they're when they're in the supermarket and they're buying food and when they're in the kitchen. I think um, there are good and bad products and i think um yeah i mean there's a big news story hit in australia and probably internationally i think around the, you know the sodium content of plant-based products and plant-based meat alternatives in particular so i think that's one that we sort of encourage people to look out for and and to get low sodium products but um but i think you know they they, they definitely do play a part you know in terms of you you know if you've got to feed the you know you've got to feed the kids and um you're working and you're um you know, you're a single mum or whatever, or, or regardless, if you've, you've, um, uh, you know, to reach for the freezer and be able to get some, you know, plant-based chicken schnitzels out and just cook them up with three veg is a can be a lot easier and a um, way to, I guess, find your plant legs if you like or plant-based legs. Um, so I think there's they definitely play a role in terms of, um, uh, yeah, I guess helping people to. Um, shift into plant-based eating but, but I think what we've noticed too this year in particular is with with people being in lockdown and people spending a lot more time at home there is a lot more people people are spending a lot more time in the kitchen and you know making the healthier foods the um the stews and the um you know the uh using legumes and soaking them and actually you know spending more time and putting more love into their food which is uh which may be a bit of a luxury at the moment um but hope, we're hoping that you know that I think when we come out of lockdown and out of this COVID situation that there's something that people are enjoying and they stick with because um, it doesn't really have to take that much extra time I don't think um, maybe initially when you're finding your feet but once once you you know you get your pressure cooker or you your slow cooker and you learn how to soak your chickpeas and your and your broad beans etc then get, get into a little bit of you know get a few favorites then it's quite easy to eat um, healthy and um, healthy whole foods and that's when as Trey mentioned that's when you get the real benefits of it and you feel all the energy etc. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you actually. This situation, if anything, has sort of slowed the pace of life uh, for, for certainly for me anyway. I know it's not not the same for everybody, and very very conscious of those who are who are still very much on the front lines, um, yeah. uh, allowing us all to kind of have this moment of introspection to to some extent. Um, but yeah, I've definitely found that myself. You know that I've um, after sort of. Three, three almost uh three going on for four years of veganism i'm starting to um you, you sort of start to slip back into some old habits as as things uh things come out new products uh vegan cheeses this that and the other and uh it's easy to slip back and this moment in time has allowed me to to pause somewhat and uh and even you know as somebody who is vegan already no meat may gives a great source of um support with that um, and and talking of support, actually, and and I wanted to go back to the other point that I wanted to pick up on from what you said uh, a while back, Ryan, was about communities and how important they are. And obviously, um, Shireen, you're you're kind of I suppose building or have been building for some time now a community of medical professionals who are you're upskilling in the in the world of uh, plant based nutrition. Be good to hear a little bit more about that, really, and the, the successes of it, and and how receptive the the medical world and in, in your sphere yeah, has been. Thank you. So, um, yeah, as you say, I mean, my passion for plant based diets, um, and and realizing that there wasn't much education and advocacy from a health perspective in the UK led me to found an organisation called Plant Based Health Professionals UK, which sort of tells you exactly what we are. Um, uh, we're a membership organisation that is registered as a community interest company in the UK. So we are run by volunteers and are a no-profit organisation um, who um, 
provide education and advocacy on healthy plant-based diets or a whole food plant-based diet, which is the sort of terminology used to describe a healthy vegan diet. Um, so what we've been doing is, um, as you say, building a community. So we have membership. Our membership is actually open to everybody because uh, as you know yourselves, you know, veganism and plant-based diets and the curiosity of it is really a grassroots movement and it's being demanded. The education is really being demanded from the health, sorry, from the general public first and foremost. And, you know, the, the health professionals have been lagging behind in their interests. So we're not just a health professional organization. We have members that are, that are general public who are just interested in optimizing their diet. And we've been running annual conferences since um, 2018, which have been really popular. Um, we have um, lots of online resources to help um, individuals and families make sure that they are um, transitioning to a plant-based diet in a healthy way. Um, and I think probably the, the most important thing that I've been able to contribute to within the UK is the is the development of a specific course and this is aimed at health professionals but i um, have developed and facilitate an online course at winchester university where i work one day a week and it's called plant-based nutrition and um, a sustainable diet for optimal health where we have six weeks of um, a facilitated online course with lectures and notes and discussions and um, that take you through all the reasons um, why um, a predominantly plant-based diet is healthy, not only for humans, but the most sustainable one for our planet going forward. Um, and as I say, it's for health professionals who are working in a clinical environment where they want to arm themselves with the evidence so that they can use it to help um, their patients and clients move towards a more healthy, sustainable lifestyle with diet being at the core of that. And it's been incredibly popular. I've been sort of sold out in inverted commas for a while. It runs every academic term and we're trying to sort of facilitate more and more people coming online. But I'm about to start the third run on Tuesday with um, over 70 people signed up um, to the course um, and already, you know, selling out for next academic year. So the demand for this has been incredible. And, and because it's online, it's international and I have certainly had international participants and our big coup is that Michael Clapper you know the the uh, one of the forefathers of plant-based nutrition and its use in the medical field and um, took the course uh, last time um, and has written us a wonderful testimonial so you know we're trying to get the word out there and actually I've got um, an Australian health professional um, Ryan that's going to sit at this time as well so you will have heard of your sort of sister organization as it were in in, in Australia called Doctors for Nutrition they do exactly what I do in in and I'm connected with them and one of their founder members is going to take the course and sort of hopefully you know be ahead its popularity in in Australia as well. Oh, that, that's amazing Shireen what an impact that that you're going to make through there and Love the fact that we talk about building communities. The those seventy people on that one course alone. I mean, the impact they're going to have on their their patients and the people that they treat. I mean, it's uh, you know, it it goes far beyond just the course itself. So I really hope so. I, I do, and I feel really fortunate that we have an institution like Winchester University. You know, at the core of its values are social justice and sustainability which clearly resonate with me and their vice chancellor joy carter prof joy carter is vegan and there seem to be quite a lot of vegan staff on campus for one reason or other so um it's a really it's a great community to be part of for myself as a professional as well amazing i love that and and i love the fact that you've opened it up as well beyond um beyond kind of medical professionals not not through the course but the the wider kind of um, membership of the group. And yeah. just coming back to the point you, you were making earlier, Ryan, about how critical uh, community is for people transitioning and something like No Meat May is providing this this community or at least the kickstart into the community. Um, a particular point I'd, I kind of, I guess, will pose to, to both of you really, but I, I, I don't know about your experience, and probably Shireen, you were you were medically equipped to deal with this. But when you when you transition to veganism, 
uh, and even beyond is still a day-to-day occurrence for me. Um, and uh, I'm a, a father of a little boy who's, who's two years old who's obviously been brought up vegan as well. And so whenever the word is mentioned, uh, particularly with the little one, there is uh, uh, almost a need on my part to to be equipped with all manner of um, information, whether that be uh, kind of information about the global impact because somebody once read an article that actually said that, uh, I don't know, some plant-based food source was worse than grass-fed meat, that kind of stuff. Or you have to defend uh, sources of B12 or or this, that or the other. Um, Ryan, you you supply kind of uh, the basis of information for folks through no no meat may. How how critical in in helping people transition do you feel being equipped from that knowledge base is, and and what are your tips for for coping with those conversations as someone who is transitioning? You're right. That's a good question. Um, I think I think you're right. I mean, we 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 talk to the four big you know four big reasons that so we. We'll sort of um, give people information on on the environmental impacts and uh, food security issues and um, all the health ones we've spoken about, and also obviously factory farming. So we'll sort of give people evidence based information. We always come back to you know um, you know credible sources and um, and include hyperlinks for people who want to read more. So we don't sort of bombard them. We just sort of give them a flavour of of here's some topics and here's some really credible places to go and and learn more. So that's sort of our, our approach to it. Um, and I think, yeah, people. I say people come in it from different reasons. If people just in it for the health, or just um, in it for the environment. They'll that's their motivation. And as they go, they will often learn other reasons or other other. Um, I guess find other other um, yeah other reasons why they why the why the diet is a good diet or why why this change is a good change. So, um, yeah, um, yeah. And I think within the within the community as well, but it's, it, it is it is like this microcosm of of. The, the broader community or the broader broader world. So you'll have people coming in at different levels of knowledge and share information. And we have vegans in the group who are, have done them in May a few years ago and are now vegan and they'll provide support to people who are maybe just giving up land animals this year and um and, and don't quite understand the issue with overfishing. So it's kind of um you have yeah people at different stages of of I guess awareness or um consciousness around all these issues and um we, we sort of monitor it in a way to make sure that people aren't, um, you know, we, we support every step, every baby step and um, give people information, but, but try not to bombard them as well. Try and let them kind of learn at their own pace. So, you know, it's a bit of a bit of an art form. It's like, um, um, yeah, and it can get a bit, can get a bit ugly in there at times, a bit messy in that Facebook group at times when you've got, you know, level seven vegans with, with people who are, um, might not have the best communication skills and um, don't understand you know, issues with, uh, and, you know, post a picture of a, 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 you know, a farm piece of salmon on a mashed potato and I can kick, things can kick off. But I think, yeah, we, we just try and uh, um, arm people with those tools, as you, as you say, so that they can, um, you know, I guess it kind of cements what they're doing and then and provides more, provides that, um, uh, inter- I guess intellectualizes it in a way of, as to, you know, when you get those cravings or when, when your habits kick in, it gives you something to hook onto to say, no, I'm going to move past this because um, there's there's a bigger thing at play that I'm you know that I'm uh, motivated by. So I think there's a good lesson to be learned there about sort of I suppose kindness, tolerance, but also sharing information uh, as is right to do so. So yeah, really, um, really think you're you're spot on with that that level of messaging. Um, Shireen, I've got a, a, another question around kind of health and just sort of circling back a little bit to the, um, to, to I guess the beyond the the current situation, but the potential health, um, uh, the health co- crisis, I guess that potentially could be could be uh, stored up for us through continuing down the the omnivorous route. And that question relates to antibiotic resistance, mm-hmm. uh, which I've heard throughout my vegan journey linked many times to um, to the consumption of meat. And and so I'd just love to get your view on how big an issue you you believe that to be, um, and, and and you know whether you whether you also would attribute that to 
to an omnivorous diet or do you think it's 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 there's other issues behind that particular uh, potential crisis yeah so antibiotic resistance really is a, a threat and we are you know starting to talk about you know how we deal with a post antibiotic era which is really quite worrying to even consider um, you know, myself in a hospital dealing with immunosuppressed patients, we are reliant on antibiotics on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, in terms of the scale of the problem, um, there was a report commissioned in 2016 by the UK government. And what it stated was that in 2016, there were about 700,000 deaths a year globally um, that were caused by antibiotic-resistant infections. But the um, rather shocking statistic that they quoted in that report was that if nothing changes and we carry on the way we are, then um, by um, 2050, we could be looking at um, 10 million deaths globally from antibiotic resistant infections alone. So that, that is just inconceivable to consider. But, you know, if we carry on as we are, um, that's what we're heading for. Um, now, it, it wouldn't be honest to say that, you know, us eating meat is the only cause, but it's clear that um, industrial uh, factory farming of animals is a major contributor to this problem. So globally, about 70% of, uh, of antibiotics produced is used in some way in animal farming. Um, so in the UK, I think it's about 36% of all um, antibiotics are used in, in animal agriculture. Um, whereas somewhere like the US, I've seen figures of up to 70% of antibiotics being used. Um, and although we're no longer you know, supposed to be using antibiotics as a growth promoter, I think just the conditions that animals are in, their close quarters, the easy transmission of, of infections between animals, you know, the intensity of things like you know, milking and the rates of mastitis just necessitate a continual use of antibiotics in the um, factory farming sector um, and that breeds um, antibiotic resistant bugs in the animals that then somehow get into our food system you know there's runoff of manure there's contamination of um, the land the water the soil and and the plants that are being grown on the soil so that is certainly a major factor that needs to be addressed and it needs a global intervention you know um, individual farms and farmers are, are not going to be able to make these um, changes it needs a systemic um, uh, and legislative um, uh, a drive to change the way we eat and our food system and we as as this comes back to we need to to shift to more of a, a plant-based um, food system in general and re reduce our reliance on animal food do, do you feel a level of confidence may be perpetuated or, or or not as the case may be by the covid situation uh shireen that we will be able to make the kind of you know see the necessary connections and make the necessary um changes uh, I guess globally, like like you speak of at, at sort of um, very high level, in order to uh, ensure our, our continued sort of health and the survival of the planet and so on and so forth. Do, do you feel confident in that that we can shift to a sort of ultimately plant based food system? No, I mean, sadly, I, I have to say that I don't feel confident because just in the narratives in the media and what's being discussed in the articles there's very little um you know airtime being given to the issues that we're discussing today um and there's so many forces acting against our shift to a, a plant-based diet um and you know my uh, what i can see being focused on in the medical community is a drive for developing an antiviral drug and a vaccine. And those are the things that seem to be hitting the headlines. I, I, I can't see much action um, being given to dealing with the root cause. Um, so I, I don't feel optimistic, but I feel that um, there is enough time for us to make a difference. And all of us have to individually and in our 
communities and the groups where we have influence um, be sharing this this important message like you are today. And and Ryan's sort of same question really like how how confident do you feel uh, about that that kind of eventual shift that we will make those necessary changes? Yeah, I I I've got to say I'm sort of similar to Shireen in terms of um, just seeing how how slow we move. Um, and as I say we've we've we're seeing this great um, growth in the campaign. We're um, up three hundred percent this year, which is well up from ten thousand to thirty three thirty four thousand this year, which is a huge growth. But but yeah, it's a, look, it's a tricky one. But I, I think you know, the, the, you know, I think what's coming through with um, with COVID nineteen is there, there might there might not actually be a vaccine that's going to be effective, and um, and some of these, you know, like the the the, the treat the treatment of it, it might be uh, from what I've heard, and, and Shereen would know better than I, but it might become like the common cold, which is something that we can't actually um, vaccinate against. In, in which case, all we can do is treat the symptoms of it and or try and lessen it. And and we, we you know we don't, we don't know where we're at with this crisis at the moment. If we're just at the beginning of it, which I think we are actually in terms of how we restructure our economies and our systems and rebuild things, when we'll restart things when um, when we all come out of lockdown. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of a lot of question marks, a lot of unknowns. But but I think I mean we've got I think people have got to we've got to start pushing people to look at that root cause. And I think um, more people have to step forward and 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 do that because you know we wouldn't. I heard it put with recently an article um, about terrorism. If you know, we had all these terrorists coming from one particular cell or one particular um, group, we would find the root cause of that and we would address that. You know, we would go in and we would try and stop that. Yet we have all these infectious diseases and or chronic diseases, and we see this one that they're all coming, or most of them are coming from this one place, and we we won't go there. We don't go there as a as a collective because it because it impacts on our culture so i think you know if more more people with platforms more people with um use their voice to sort of challenge that um i think that's what's needed i think we need more more people to stand up and and you're seeing that you're seeing more people more, more celebrities and um very influential people move to plant-based diets for different reasons so i think um to hear some of them talk about you know this denial that we have and and I think I think so much of it is psychological. You know, so much of our eating habits and our resistance to change is is um, the psychology that we have around meat and this denial and all these um, um, you know multi levels of sort of uh, psychology that we we have with our food. Um, if we can sort of face that and 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 get to that root cause, then um, you know then it'll accelerate the shift. But the shift is definitely happening. It's just a question of you know will, will things like COVID you know how 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 much faster can it can it um, push things along? Um, so I'm probably a bit more confident, but um, but I think we need those people to stand up and uh, and make more noise and get it into the into the news. Well, I think you know both both of you are absolutely in that space of uh, of pushing the message forward in the in the right and positive way. So a huge thank you to to both of you. T- time is getting away from us here, but I w- I would like to just make sure that the folks out there know how to sign up for. No meat may and and how to find uh, you as well, Shireen. So, um, let's, let's start, Shireen, with you know where, where's best to sort of find you and maybe even join that community that you've built. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank you. So, um, we our website is plantbasedhealthprofessionals.com, um, and from there you'll see all our links to um, social media, so Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So, plantbasedhealthprofessionals.com. Awesome, and if if if, if we want to uh, encourage some folks to sign up to No Meat May, Ryan, where where do we go about finding it? Yes, yeah, so we're at nomeatmay.net is our website. Um, getting getting towards the end of May now, but it's still um, it will still have uh, our daily um, post on Instagram and our Facebook page as well. And as I mentioned before, the Facebook community group, which uh, has some amazing recipe sharing, and we've created a library of, of um, topics of things that have been shared this May. So if you jump in and join the, the No Meat May community group. You'll have access to all those resources, and um, and uh, yeah, we, we, we got we go twelve months a year, even though the focus is all in May. We're, we're there all year round, so um, yeah, come and come and join in. Well, I, I really recommend people do. I mean, the, the 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 site is full of of information, and even as someone who's been vegan for a while now, um, that it's still it's still invaluable. And even just being part of the community, the recipe sharing, all the rest of it, it is fantastic. And I think. 
you know, moving us all, not just to veganism, but kind of as close to whole foods, plant-based as we can, uh, I think, uh, I think you know, is, is, a, is a battle we're all, we're all on, especially with all that mm. vegan junk food out there that we talked about. Um, but thank you so much for your time. Um, both, both of you, make sure you stay safe and, and, and hopefully talk to you again. Good on you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Shireen.